Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Welcome. And today my special guest is Matt Lovegrove with a bachelor's degree in economics and an MBA. He's a partner with EY's People Advisory Services, focusing on talent development, deployment and retention. A former chair of APMP Australia, the Association for Professionals Winning Business through proposals, bids and business development, Matt is an expert in strategic account management. In this episode, we're going to discuss where the workplace is heading in 2021 and beyond and how organisations can stay ahead of the curve. Welcome, Matt. And COVID is the most disruptive event in the last decade. Businesses have to be prepared for the challenges ahead and reimagine the workplace of the future. So there are some lessons learned from the last 12 months. Um, What are some of those lessons, Matt? Yeah, thanks, Nina. It's a really great question. I I think your, your starting point is right in that um, the world has changed. It's changed in my mind irrevocably. We're we're not going back to the old normal, despite people hanging on to that and and maybe wishing we could, but that doesn't mean it's all bad. Um, And I think it's, it's given us an amazing opportunity to, to really step back and rethink the relationship between work and, and, and life, that old, that old chestnut around work and life balance. But even if I could say it at a, at, a, at a broader level, I think it actually is one of the few moments since, dare I say, the Industrial Revolution where the whole notion of work and, and the paradigm that exists between employer, employee, union representative body, et cetera, can really be changed for the better. So I, I'm, I'm quite enthusiastic. I, I live in Melbourne and I've just found out today we're locked down for another seven days. So, you know, that's not great. But as I said, in the nations. No, thank you, thank you. And look, there's lots of worse places to be given what's happening around the world. But again, when you when you step back from the immediacy, I guess, of some of those negative points, the opportunity to reshape work, I think, is um, is fantastic. And there's an interesting new tension playing out, which is employees saying, "Actually, I would like to redefine the notion of a working day or a working week. I'd like to be flexible with my start and finish times. I'd like to sit with my colleagues when we do our work." It's flipping the dynamic around. So there will be winners and losers out of this. Let's let's be really clear, like most big changes, you know, in in, in society. But for those who um, who say to your point, well, thank you, you've had some flexibility, but it's back to you know eight forty five to five fifteen Monday to Friday, working in a traditional office. The reality is, and our and our research that we just recently released showed globally that fifty four percent of employees will will quit. They will leave their current employer if they're not offered some form of flexibility going forward. So that's why I say that, you know, going back to the old normal, there'll be there'll be people that will go back to what resembled more closely old normal, but not completely the same. But the vast majority, nine out of 10 people in our global survey said, I've had a taste of flexibility. You know, the genie's out of the bottle, Nina, and, and I'm not going back. And I'm a classic example. I've got, I've got two young boys, uh, one a teenager and one just about to become one. I used to be out of the country one week, Every month, traveling in my role through Asia, I haven't been on a plane now for 16 months, like most of us, and I've actually been able to get more involved in their school lives and much to their chagrin, uh, I, I, I pack their lunches most days, um, you know, and I pick them up. Now, I, I, I'm blessed by that, right? And I, and I 
I now don't want to give that up. And thankfully, EY is an employer who said, that's fine. You can do that. So long way to answer your question, yeah. If, if people put their head in the sand and just say we're going back to normal and that was a bit of a nice blip, um, you know, the jury's out. I, I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not a uh, – I can't guarantee this. But, again, from the data that we've collected and the people that we that I speak to, you know, people need to reimagine, um, you know, a new way of working. And I think that's, as I said, quite exciting because done well – People are saying that their productivity improves, maybe perversely to some people, but their productivity improves and their ability to be more creative and problem solve in a different way leads to benefits for the employer. And it is problem solving in a different way because some people talk about, you know, the, the cooler, water cooler mentality where, you know, when you're actually in an office and you just happen to have a, a loose conversation with someone about what you're working on and they say, oh, I've got some data on that. So that kind of serendipity. That yeah. occurs, but surely that can still happen in a hybrid workplace. Do you think? Yeah, I do, Nina, and and I do want to say like that that is a really important point. And I've had my own moments of serendipity in my working life where um, it's taken place. So so I guess there's a couple of things. One is there are some people that want to work completely hybridly or completely remotely. You know, at that end of the spectrum, you know, you still need to be aware that you are going to have to go and meet your your colleagues. You're going to have to meet with customers. Um, you will need to spend some time together because we are creatures of social habit. We do actually enjoy, most of us anyway, enjoy contact with, with other people. So you do need to do that. But, yeah, I do think you can still create those moments of serendipity, but it's it's contrived, if you will. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but you have to go out of your way to be more mindful about creating those moments. And so, you know, I, I spend I spend more time now just having sort of five or 10-minute check-in conversations with my team across Asia than I would have ever done pre-COVID. And, you know, in, in most cases, we don't actually talk about work. We'll just be checking how they're going. And then it might be a, oh, by the way, I wanted to share with you something that comes out of it. That's so I think it can be done. Know. Yeah, because um, one of the earlier episodes is uh, with uh, Sarah Derry from Accor, the hospitality organisation, and they have implemented what's called a heartist culture. And that part of their culture is to proactively talk about one's life for a couple of minutes before any meeting starts. And it seems to me that by, by making it that's what we do around here, then the managers that, that start that think, well, we're just here to do a job. We're not here to find out what your kids are doing at school. Well, they're actually going to find out that really we are here to know a little bit that's, that's right. appropriate about people's lives because we're not, we're not robots, we're humans. Yeah, and, and this experience as well, as much as I've got a, a background on my screen here, but, you know, the fact that we are inviting our colleagues into our homes in most cases, you know, into our personal lives, they normally people make comments about the bookshelves behind me and things like that. I agree. I think it, it humanises us. And and the days of being petrified when, you know, a young child is dancing in the background, you know, <laughs> that it still happens. But, um, you know, I think we're, again, I think we now see that as a positive. It's, and I know some people still get uptight about it, but, again, it just... It, it humanises us. And, again, I think that's a real positive that's come out of this. And I think some of the videos that have gone viral really are quite <laughs> charming and, right. and lovable and personable. So I don't think there's anything to fear. You're absolutely right. Um, so are there any things that companies should do to maintain this esprit de corps, a sense of culture? What, what can you suggest? Yeah, look, there, there really are some things here. And, and I think if I was going to just talk about some of the concerning parts that came out of our research as well was that uh, employees were concerned about their managers and leaders ability 
to actually manage effectively in a hybrid world. Uh, something like 60, it was actually 62% of our respondents globally said they weren't, you know, completely confident that their immediate manager or leader could continue to lead them and manage effectively in a hybrid world. Now that's 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 quite a high number, right? Um, and again, I think to your point, it, it, it talks to some of the generational elements in leadership uh, ranks and roles, but I also think it talks to mindset. And then the one that really, the one that really disturbed me, and this goes, I think, to your point about culture and behaviour, the one that disturbed me was an even higher number, 72% of respondents globally said they felt that if they weren't in the office more than they would like to, that they would be overlooked for job opportunities, career opportunities and promotion. So, i.e., if, if I'm not outside my manager's office or in the cubicle next door, I will get overlooked. Now, you know, to me... You know, I don't get too serious too often, but to me, this is one that I find it's an indictment. It's an indictment on us as managers and leaders. So long-winded answer, I guess, is that um, we all need to be investing in our managers and our leaders, helping them understand some of these elements we've just talked about, that it is okay to be more human. It is actually a positive to to invest a little more time in your people, to plan the serendipitous moments um, and to go out of your way not to appoint people into project teams or engagements or whatever it might be, the work you're doing, just because they're the people that you either always go to or the ones that are literally in line of sight. And I think that's a that's an interesting one to break. And, and for us at EY, that's, that's been even pre-COVID, that was something as an organisation we were working on because we work, we have, you know, we form and, and, and disband teams multiple times a day, depending on what you're doing. But there was a there was a subconscious bias in many people that you'd always go to the same people because you know they're dependable and reliable. And so we already had a program that was designed to to try to break that. And I think it's been a positive again for us in in the new world because it is uh, you know you have to think about a bit more who you want to use. So I think it's again that planned. It's it's equipping our managers as much as it's an indictment. The, the research I, I think equally, it's an indictment on on our overarching leaders that we haven't necessarily been investing in in those skills, uh, particularly over the last 16 months. We've had some time now, and again, unfortunately, many respondents are saying they're not seeing that their organisation is making investments to lock in these positive features for the long term. Well, you've nailed a couple of things there. Number one, you can't just assume that uh, leaders are going to uh, just pick up the, the new skills, uh, you know, some sort of formal training and 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 re- reading the right uh, literature is going to help uh, empower their skills. But the other thing is about visibility. It's that sometimes it's the uh, the vocal extroverts that get noticed, and yet you've got very strong talent with people that are perhaps less visible, more introvert but maybe deep thinkers. And so it seems to me that uh, one of the things I talk about when I'm talking about leadership is psychological safety, says you create a vehicle for everybody's opinion to be heard. And so as a manager, you have to go, I've heard from these five people, but there's three people over there I haven't heard. I need to proactively ask them for their for what they think. And would you agree that it's, it's about being proactive, about ma- making sure that the invisible ones become more visible. You know, I, I love that. I, I, I agree. And I think this is where we're all learning. So, again, even on these sort of Zoom calls, right, or Teams calls, I, I, I always come on with my camera on and I'm happy to leave my camera on. But I notice that some people don't. And, and I've seen some organisations set a rule that says you must have your video on, your camera on. Now, I, I think those blanket rules uh, can be quite damaging because for some people they don't like to be on camera all the time. And so... Again, not not recognizing it as 
they've got their camera off because they're off playing golf or, you know, making a sandwich. They might be, but generally they're not. But that's that's how they prefer it. And when they want to say something, they'll switch their camera on. So understanding that. And then, yeah, to your point, you know, looking for feedback through other mechanisms. The beauty of these platforms now is that you can run instantaneous polls. So sometimes people are, are not willing to, to pipe up vocally, um, but are very happy to provide their thoughts through polling. So again, just two quick examples, but I think, again, we've all got to get used to using the technology in a way to your point that 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 straddles that that dynamic between the extroverts people like me quite honestly and the introverts and understanding that there's different ways that they draw energy and how they want to engage so anybody listening uh you know managers and ex- experienced and aspiring managers listening to this they're going to find that if they don't uh, evolve and become more agile to embrace the uh, hybrid workplace, that they f- may find that they've got uh, team members with itchy feet. What proact- proactive behaviours do you think can managers do? I know that's what we're talking about, but is there any anything else we haven't yet mentioned that managers can do to make sure that individuals want to stay? Yeah, so so it's a really good question, Nina. And I, and I think there's managers and I think there's also the role of HR. So maybe just to, to unpack those. Um, so for managers, yeah, look, pe- people are wanting that connection time. Um, it, it's come through in a whole range of studies, our, our own studies and others, that people are looking now for that, not the, just the meeting time, right, where you might have four or five or 10 or 12 people in a meeting, but the one-on-one time with their manager. So one of the things that we've been, we've been trialling at EY is the Microsoft Workplace Analytics tools. So... It's, um, it's all anonymized, it's all metadata, but what you can start to look for are, are patterns. So you can see, for example, when was the last time a manager actually had a one-on-one phone call or meeting or a, a chat like this with, their, with their, one of their direct reports. So again, it's not to spy on them, but if there are particular managers that aren't good at staying connected, you can start to have a proactive conversation with them about the reasons why it's important to do that. Um, out of that as well, and I know people get scared of Big Brother, but it's all it's anonymized. It's not at an individual level. But if there's work groups that are their work weeks have really blown out, they're working much longer, they're working harder. There's more meetings, there's more emails. They can be early warning indicators using again data and tools that we didn't have that long ago to not be the solution, but to be the canary in the mine. Um, and and then I think to be honest, in the Australian market, we're, we're going to see a period of of pretty significant. Um, workforce turnover. I, I don't see there's a way of avoiding it. You've got some industries that are in the doldrums. You've got others who cannot fill roles no matter how hard they try. We've got our borders up. So our usual go-to of skilled migration to, to cover some of the skills gaps is not there for the short term. And you've had wages growth stubbornly stuck below 3% now for five years. So to your point about itchy feet, I, I made that comment in another call and some of my uh, North American colleagues didn't know what I they thought I might have been talking about tinea. It was quite funny. Oh, I um, see. That's an Australian word phrase. It must be. It must be. But, but it resonates with me. So I think there's also a point that you can do all the right things, but there is an element, particularly in Australia at the moment, I think we've got a pressure cooker situation where, mm. you know, we are seeing people offered 20, 30, 40, even 50% higher salaries by other organisations for the same roles. And you can do all the things in the world um, you, and you, you're probably not going to stop that because on top of the money, to your point, I think a lot of us have, have had a 16, 17, 18 months now of, of hunkering in and doing the right thing. And it's a case of the grass does look greener. So I, yes, I think that's yes. I think that's there. And then on the HR front, if you don't mind, I, I think so. That's the manager's role. I think going back to where I started, there's a role for HR now to 
if I dare say it. I don't think there's been a better time to be in HR or people, provided that the, the function can move from being transactional and reactive into a, a forward posture. And so, again, looking at some of those tools that can help to, to, to data mine and to draw out the, the insights and join the dots and proactively go to managers or leaders and help them think about how they're managing their people. Um, you know, working through this whole piece about hybrid work. Again, hybrid work is not a one-size-fits-all. The, the, the use of the word hybrid means you're going to have very different um, perspectives on this. So, again, how do you get on the front foot and start to design your workplaces and your work styles for that? Um, I think it absolutely is the place of, of people in HR. And then finally, driving new forms of engagement. I think we've all been over-polled and over-surveyed, you know, once or twice a year about engagement. Again, good good philosophies, good ideas. But again, now's the time, I think, to change that up as well. So I see that the people function, the HR function, can really be that, that clutch point, the connector between, between, dare I say it, management, leadership and, and people and really start to be that that avenue, that that voice, I guess, for employees and starting to find the ways that work for all parties. Because again, this is not about just saying employees have said this, we should jump. You know, it is actually about finding the right, the right dynamic for your business given your market and your customers. Well, yes, HR, human resources, has such a pivotal role to play and perhaps never more so than now. Um, I'm going to put it uh, ask, ask you to send me that some of these tools, the one you mentioned earlier, we'll put it in the show notes. What was it again? Microsoft's data analytics? Microsoft's workplace analytics is what yep. it's called, Nina. Yeah, I mean, it's just one tool, but obviously being Microsoft's, it's it's quite well known and yep. it, and integrates in. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not here to promote that per se, but we, oh. we, we have chosen to use that ourselves. And, and again, it's early days, but we're, we're, we're finding better ways to, as I said, to start to look for indicators. It's not to say that's the be all and end all, but it's another form of, of, of canary in the mine, if you will, to help our managers and leaders look for, for hotspots. If someone appears to be working too long or too hard that's or right. too often out of hours or not working, you know, because that could be a sign of either, you know, poor mental health or well-being, or there might be something happening. So it's not to say there is a problem. It's just to give people some data to say, look, you probably should go and have a chat to Matt or to Nina because something seems to be possibly going on there. So, yeah, I think, again, it's 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 a new way of using, you know, the plethora of data lakes that we have and, and the amount of data that we have that goes unused, Nina. Again, I think this is a great opportunity to, to use it in a really positive way. Yes, Matt, uh, in, in the webinar that I saw you deliver, you made reference to employee assistance programs, EAP, mm. and I do believe it's a term that's recognised around the world. What's your view of the importance of EAP, having uh, employees having an opportunity to find an independent counsellor if they want to talk through some mental health issues that, you know, coping issues that they, they're dealing with? Yeah, and I'll put a disclaimer out there, Nina. My wife's a, a psychologist, so we have uh, many conversations about this. But no, look, jokes aside, I'm I'm very passionate about men's mental health in particular. I think, as we all have known, it's been a topic that's not been discussed. Yeah, the the ability to have access to a third party um, that's available to talk to you, I think, is is just you know, it's very hard to put a cost on that. Someone will try to, or or, or a benefit. But it's such a vital tool. And, and again, some of the the data that I've seen is that the demand for these services over the last 16 months have in some cases gone up 30, 40%. Um, and so I think what it's done and what I'm most excited about, and again, another client that I was talking to, and I obviously won't name them, but a very heavily male-dominated blue-collar workforce, you know, they said, we've been running the Are You OK campaigns, you know, the check-in on a mate stuff, 
Um, and they've had, you know, incremental benefits, but they said they were, they've been blown away. So, again, since February last year, they've seen the access and use of their employee assistance program go up by 28% and are seeing blokes, and that's the language they use, are seeing blokes that they thought would never have a conversation about how they're doing now checking in on other people proactively. Just so for our overseas listeners, Australia bloke is an Australian term for a, I think a manly man. Would that be right? Manly man, I think that's exactly <laughs> the right term. Yes, I, I got to keep be careful with my colloquialisms, Nina. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's important. But equally, I think that that the, the balance then as well is that's not the panacea either, right? And so again, at EY, what we've what we've implemented, and again, not saying we're perfect, but we've actually implemented now mental health first aiders. So just as we've had oh. physical first aid physically qualified first aid people in the the old world of a physical office. And if someone had an accident, they'd come and tend to them. We're now accrediting people to be mental health first aiders. So sometimes, particularly at the moment, it might take you a week or two weeks to be able to get to talk to an external employee assistance program, psychologist or counsellor. So we're now putting in some people who at least can, can triage in the short term and be someone that they can go to. So again, I think it's important just to think about those different elements. So, you know, it's not okay, in my opinion, to say, oh, we've got an EAP program, so we've we've done all we need to do. I think, again, this this that's great, don't get me wrong, and, and I would encourage those who don't have that to really look into it. But I also think there's some new things that employers can do themselves to just, again, as I said, provide that a sort of more immediate first aid. And, and again, we're not suggesting that these people become professional counsellors or anything else. It's within the realms of what makes sense, but it's just, again, something immediate because for those of us who have who have been through it i've suffered from anxiety in the past myself and i'm very happy to share that you know if you're if you're having a bad day and your anxiety is peaking you, you can't wait two weeks to talk to somebody you know you know you need to speak to someone fairly quickly so i think finding some intermediate approaches is really helpful as well mm. look i love this idea of having a, a mental first aid uh, accredited people in the workplace that people know they can go to. Um, what what would do they? Uh, what background are you looking for with those sort of people? I mean, obviously high emotional intelligence, but they what would they have nursing in their background or or yeah. some sort of a, a, a qualification first aid of some sort or yeah, potentially. I mean, you are you are looking for people that have that that sort of nurturing um, personality, Nina. But you know, again, across EY, although most people would probably see us as an accounting and finance and consulting business, we've We've got more organisational psychologists in, in my business unit than I think many, many large organisations have. So those people in particular that have a, a, a sort of a psychological psychology background, look, that's helpful. But we're, we're finding people come up from different parts of the business that you wouldn't necessarily suspect it. So it's more about, I think, to your point, it's the style, it's the ability to be non-judgmental. Um, and as I said, we're really clear about this. We're not expecting them to be counsellors. And if if on having a conversation and giving them some some sort of frameworks and tools and ideas, if it's become clear that that person's in much more of a serious situation, then of course that gets escalated, you know, very quickly to the right mental health uh, mm-hmm. practitioners and professionals. But yeah, it, it's it's having a positive impact so far. It's early days for us as well, but we're seeing that it's having a positive impact. And, you know, I think some of the ideas of stigma about, well, could I talk to someone in my own business about this? I am again, positively, positively surprised I must say that, that again, that, that seems to be less of an issue. And, and again, that's such a great thing for, for society, quite frankly, that oh, you know, yes. f- after so long of, of trying to remove the stigma around mental health challenges that, again, maybe perversely, um, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but maybe perversely COVID-19 has 
has again accelerated that and been and could be a, a long term positive. Did um, did EY issue a report that that uh, the listeners can access? Yeah, look, we have Nina, and, we're, and it's a publicly available, so we can make that that link available. I'll to put you. that in the show notes. Is yeah, that'd be name great. Or? Yeah, so it's called Work Reimagined. Um, is our is our name? We we uh, we think future of work. We used to use it ourselves, and I'm not trying to be smart, but we think the future's already come. Um, so we shouldn't talk about the future of work. We're now talking about Work Reimagined. So yeah, look again. Um, Sixteen and a half thousand respondents globally, uh, twenty three countries uh, where we had respondents, uh, sixteen different industries that were covered, multiple generations. It's if I dare say myself, it makes some really interesting reading and. And what I said it does pull out is that there are some consistent trends globally. Again, that, you know, the genie is out of the bottle on flexible working. And no matter whether you're in Malaysia or Japan or in the UK or Australia, that's what people are saying. Um, they want to have some flexibility. Um, the intentions to, to, to either stay or quit if they're not given that, again, remarkably similar um, around the world. But then there are some really different cultural nuances that come out when you look at Japanese business culture, for example, versus the Australian culture or even the North American culture. So, yeah, I'd, look, I'd encourage people to, to have a read through it. It, it. it draws out some insights and we've tried to give people some practical frameworks, I guess, or tools that you can use yourselves to think about, you know, if you were to ask your employees these same questions, you know, how do you think they would respond? And have you thought about some of these areas? Um, because, again, I think the other risk here is that people with all the best intentions are looking to make policy changes and to make uh, stipends available or to, or to invest in a whole range of, of potential home office equipment that interestingly our survey says some of the things you might think that employees value they don't and some of the things you might not have thought they value they do so it's even just a very practical way to if you're looking at changing your policies and what you're doing have a look at our report because it might give you some ideas as to where you might want to spend your dollars uh, and get the right return. Well, just in closing, Matt, I just want to say every manager should read this report and every manager should be uh, upskilling their own ability to understand how leading people, what the trends are. So uh, have you got a favourite book that you like to, uh, that you've read yourself or that you like to refer people to read that helps them with uh, the, the, the leading of people? Oh, look, there's many, but the one that first comes to mind, and I've just revisited it again, is Lencioni's The Seven Dysfunctions of Teams. Um, I'm not sure if you've read that. I'm sure you have, Nina. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm right into that one. <laughs> yeah. So, so again, I, I think, and why, why that comes to mind is I think, again, it'll be interesting to see whether Lencioni, um, I, I assume he's not dead now, but I, if he's oh, not. Oh, no, no. Patrick is coming out to Australia this year. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I always get a bit worried when I name drop him in today's world. Um but I wonder whether he might be looking to rewrite his novel. I think there's, a, or, you know, his, his book. I think there's an interesting approach to that. But I think he's got a new one coming. Um, our organisation actually has accredited facilitators in the five uh, cohesive behaviours, uh, right. uh, uh, according to Len Chaney. And, of course, I've been, every time I work with a team, I will reread his five dysfunctions of a team just to get it, prime my brain and sort of think about, you know, what can go wrong with a team. He He's really nailed it. So I'm really he glad has. to mention that one yeah and so again but i think again why i say this because there are some things that don't change right going back to where we started there's some common things that don't change but again i think as you as you look at the five dysfunctions and think about it in a new world um it'll be interesting to see how you might need to nudge that so so i think that's that's one but to your point there's another a couple around emotional intelligence i think more than ever in today's world you know that is going to be the 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 successful or more successful component of leaders you know those that have 
that are aware of their emotional intelligence, that are, are acting to build that. Um, and as we said again, sort of recapping, I think the ability to, to connect with people on a far more personal level, I really think those leaders are going to be even more successful moving forward. So I think they're the two areas that I would be recommending people have a look at, particularly if they're locked down like me. So we've got plenty of time on our hands. Look, uh, we've touched on so many important points, Matt. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. I've enjoyed the conversation too. So thank you and, and, and good luck to your listeners as well. And I hope yeah. everyone stays safe. Today, we've been speaking with Matt Lovegrove, partner with EY's uh, People Advisory Services, and this is the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. My name is Nina Sunday. I'm your host. And uh, find Manage Self, Lead Others wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to subscribe, give it a five-star rating so the world knows we're a terrific place to come and listen. Ciao for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.